rise. The Honorables, the Presiding Judge, and Judges of the Court of Appeals of the State of North Carolina. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, the Court of Appeals is now in session. God save the state and this honorable court. Be seated. Thank you. Good morning and welcome to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. I'm uh, your presiding judge, Hunter Murphy. To my right is Judge John Irwin. To my left, Judge Toby Hampson. Thank you to our clerk and our marshal being here with us today and the first case we have on the calendar is state versus um, I've been saying Kelleher so feel free to correct me if I'm, I'm saying that incorrectly and we'll be with the appellant good morning may it please the court I'm Kathy Vandenberg with the appellate defender in Durham representing James Kelleher and I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. In June of 2013, Mr. Kelleher filed a motion asking for relief under Miller versus Alabama. In June of 2022, after nine years of litigation, our Supreme Court ultimately granted him the relief he asked for, concurrent sentences of life with the possibility of parole. Your honors, you've seen in the briefs what the mandate said and what happened in Cumberland County. Now here we are in February of 2024 with the case still unresolved after almost 11 years and counting. I'm asking this court to enforce the mandate to vacate the additional actions taken by the Superior Court below and to ensure that the sentencing relief ordered by the Supreme Court is imposed. There should be finality in our court system. The parties involved in this case have been through enough the courts have spent time enough, and this matter should be put to rest as soon as possible. I only have a few points to raise this morning. First, the mandate language in this case directed a single explicit result. The cases uh, talking about mandate, the main one being Watson, say we look at the plain language of the mandate to distinguish in sentencing cases between general and limited remands. The cases find a limited remand where the court directs or instructs that a specific sentence be imposed. They also look at the broader context of an appellate opinion, especially where there's ambiguity. In this case, there is no ambiguity. Both appellate courts instructed entry of a particular sentence, and both courts explicitly said there was to be no discretionary resentencing. The court in Watkins said that the mandate must be strictly followed without variation or departure. The lower court here varied and departed from the mandate. I think the trial court here would say it, it followed the mandate with respect to the life sentences there, but there was no particular mandate as to the, to the other offenses. Right, and that's the state's argument about, well, you didn't say that we couldn't do that. And I think that is contrary to the case law. The case law says you do what you're directed to do when it's a limited remand, but and this just clearly was a limited remand. Does it, 
is there any impact on the fact that this wasn't a direct appeal from all of the judgments, but rather that it was reviewed on motions for appropriate relief specific to the, the life sentences? Yeah, so, um, and that starts to get into Oglesby, which is where I was going next. So um, the state below and now is relying on Oglesby, which involved um, also a Miller case. Um, but if you read the first opening paragraph of the Supreme Court's opinion in Oglesby, they say, Mr. Oglesby explicitly requested that he be sentenced to one consolidated sentence um, of life without parole or have all of his other ancillary sentences um, run concurrently. So in that case, all of the sentences were before the court. Starting from the beginning in the MAR, they discussed it on appeal, you know, what could be the rule involving concurrent sentences. In Mr. Kelleher's case, um, his pleading did not ask for resentencing on the ancillary sentences, which had expired years before. And that uh, was my question. Uh -huh. um, the ancillary sentences had been run concurrently with the initial term, is that correct? Correct. And those sentences had all, the time for those sentences had already expired. Correct. Those, those had been served pursuant to the concurrent, is that correct? Correct. If you, back then, if you looked on the prison website, combined records, those sentences were listed as expired. Um, at the time he filed the MAR, much less at the time of, you know, the appellate proceedings once they finally got going. Um, and another point about that is that the state had the opportunity, if it wanted to, at that initial MAR resentencing, um, if they wanted the court to consider the other sentences, even though they were expired, they could have made that argument. And they didn't make it at the initial resentencing before Judge Fox. I mean, everybody knew it wasn't a secret that he had these other sentences. It was all part of the same transaction. And the appellate opinions talk about the fact that they existed but the state never raised that argument. They could have cross-appealed on that issue um, when Mr. Kelleher appealed to this court. They could have, when this court uh, ordered relief in um, 2020, the state filed a PDR to get it re reviewed by the Supreme Court and they could have raised the issue about ancillary sentences at that point and they did. That issue and those sentences have never been part of this appeal and so when the Supreme Court remanded with, you know, set aside the mandate, even if the Supreme Court had said, we just send it back for resentencing, those other ancillary sentences were still not part of this appeal. It's sort of a first principle issue. You can't rule on something that's not before you. That's not part of the appeal. There was never anything from the state seeking um the trial court to exercise jurisdiction over those other prior never until correct. until you know last year when the case was over and final and they were asked to you know impose this sentence and then they said oh wait a minute Oglesby you know we want to reopen this and but consider these old sentences would it be so is it your position that this was just a, a failure to follow the mandate or that the trial court did not have any jurisdiction at all to vacate both original sentences right so the mandate issue is just stands on its own and the case law is very clear there if there's a specific limited mandate you do it that's the end of the case um, 
in addition to that, if you know, even if as an alternative argument, I think um, the fact that these other sentences were never part of the appeal, I mean, if, if they weren't available to be included in resentencing. What should we make of, and I, I didn't really see much on this in the briefs, the fact that when I'm looking at record page 76 with the two first degree murder charges, it appears that the trial court consolidated these for judgment instead of running them concurrent. We don't have concurrent sentences, which also violates the mandate. Right. Um, so, you know, we talking about needing to send this down to redo this thing altogether. I think when you opened, you talked about, you know, just getting rid of those parts of it, but isn't this whole thing a problem? Well, I think um, some of the other cases, I'm not sure if the criminal cases, but some of the other mandate remands, when a case has come back up again, um, you know, the court can issue whatever relief it feels is necessary. I asked in the brief for a very specific, you know, vacate, I think, the sentences that were reimposed on the robbery um, and the fact that they were then run consecutive to one another and um, make sure that Mr. Kelleher gets jail credit since we're doing a new um, judgment for life or either um, enter non-prunk-tunk judgment. You know, there's different ways to do that to make sure he gets his whatever it is now, 7,000 days of jail credit toward the life sentence. Um, I did want to talk about 15-8-14-47. Um, the state raised that in their brief, and this court may be familiar with it, but I wasn't. It's not cited um, very often. I only found it in a couple of cases, and it's listing the various types of relief that can be ordered on appeal. Um, and the state, in its argument, distinguished between subsection D, um, which is more of a general sentencing remand, and subsection F, which says if there's a specific sentence um, which may be corrected without returning the case to the trial division for that purpose, this court may direct the entry of the appropriate sentence. Um, and when this statute, subsection F, has been cited, it has been a mandate similar to what was imposed here, which said we're returning this case, you know, we're remanding this case to the trial division to impose the sentence we just told you that you have to impose. Um, the state, and actually this language makes it sound like this court could just enter judgment. I don't think that happens. I, maybe you all are familiar with that. Um, if it does allow that under the statute and we could bypass Cumberland County, you know, that would be fantastic. But any way this court wants to handle it, I think the robberies need to be, you know, erased and put back where they were, which is expired, and the life sentences need to be concurrent um, and, you know, jail credit given for all of the time he has served against the life sentences. If there are no other questions, I'm going to reserve the remainder of my time. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Here from the state. Good 
Good morning. May it please the court, my name is Heidi Williams. I'm here from the North Carolina Department of Justice, and I represent the state in this matter. The state is asking this court to affirm defendant sentences imposed on remand from the Supreme Court's opinion in State v. Kelleher, which we refer to throughout our brief as Kelleher 2. Section 15A.1354A of the North Carolina General Statutes gives a sentencing court authority when multiple sentences of imprisonment are imposed on a defendant at the same time as an original sentence to run those sentences either concurrently or con consecutively as determined by the court. And the court determined that in the first instance, did it not, and ran some of these sentences concurrently? At the time of the original sentencing, that's correct. And has that, those concurrent sentences, ever been a part of any of these MARs. Your Honor, the state would agree that defendant did not ad address those ancillary sentences. And neither did the state, did it? That's correct, Your Honor. So at the time And of didn't one of the opinions specifically say in a footnote that those sentences had expired? Your Honor, the state does not contest that the time on those sentences had been served. And the court found that they had already expired, did it not, in one of its opinions? in one of the footnotes. Your Honor, I don't recall off the top of my head, but, but the state would agree that the time on those sentences, defendant had served that time when, um, by the time resentencing occurred at the first Miller resentencing hearing. That said, Your Honor, again, when we're looking at a trial judge's authority at a resentencing proceeding, and I, I think here it's important to note that in Kelleher 2, um, the North Carolina Supreme Court's decision can't, it has to be interpreted in conjunction with this court's opinion in Kelleher 1 because the North Carolina Supreme Court did not vacate and overrule this court's opinion, but rather an affirmed and, mo and modified it. And in Kelleher 1, this court stated in no uncertain terms in the opening paragraph of its opinion that it was remanding the case for resentencing. So under North Carolina law, at resentencing, the default position is that a judge at resentencing possesses authority to revisit all sentences that were imposed for any convictions at the same time. That's its statutory right. Did the trial court ar articulate any rationale for its imposition of, of, the, of the new sentences following Kelleher too? You, at the 2023 resentencing, Your Honor? Yeah. Uh, yes. So the court certainly at the time it imposed its sentence, it, it described how it had considered the findings of fact and conclusion of law from Judge Fox when he um, conducted the, the resentencing in 2018 where he considered all of the juvenile resentencing factors under Miller. Um, he also heard from two, uh, he heard two victim impact statements at the resentencing. He also heard from the defendant. He discussed how, that he had considered the nature of the crimes and then determined that based on those circumstances, he believed that he, he chose, he determined that it was the appropriate um, sentence in this case to impose the armed robbery sentences consecutively to the mandated sentence, uh, mandated sentences of life with the possibility of parole. But those that potential had never been argued by the state in any of its appeals before. These are MARs. Is that not correct? This is not a direct appeal. That's correct, Your Honor. And so, and I'm reading what Justice Earls wrote, and she said, for a unanimous court, I might add, 
said, accordingly, we remand to the trial court with instructions to enter two concurrent sentences of life with parole. It doesn't say you get to have a new sentencing hearing. It doesn't get to say the state needs, gets to argue something else. It says you are to do this. Is that not correct? That is correct, Your Honor, and, and that is precisely what the trial judge did. No, that's not what the trial judge did. What the trial judge did was he revisited all the sentences because he didn't like what the Supreme Court said. Isn't that basically what happens? Your Honor, the, the state would disagree with that position. So the trial, or excuse me, the courts on appeal in Kelleher 1 and Kelleher 2 directed the trial court on remand at resentencing, which I, I don't know how the defendant gets away from the fact that this was in fact a resentencing proceeding when that was what this court in Kelleher 1 ordered, directed the trial judge to impose concurrent sentences of life with the possibility of the parole. The trial judge did that here and then explained that the, the appellate court opinions were silent about how to handle these ancillary convictions. That said, because it was not before the court, was it? It was, Your Honor, under, under the statute. Did the state raise it or say anything about it? Was it ever argued in either of those cases about these other sentences? Your Honor, whether or not the state raised this issue did not divest the trial judge of its statutory authority under Section 15A, 1354A, that it had the statutory right to consider those sentences. What about it, the fact that they had expired already under the, what it already? Nothing in the plain language of the statute would have prevented the court from considering those ancillary sentences merely because the defendant had served the time on them. That's the state's position? That's the state's position, Your Honor. How do you, you deal with Watkins, um, which I think makes pretty clear that there's, there's different types of remand for resentencing. There's a limited and there's a general. And, you know, although it's unpublished, um, I find the reasoning in, which one is it? Um, State versus Moore um, to be pretty persuasive. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't assign my name to it four years ago. Um, I don't know that Judge Airwood would either, but I'm not going to put words in his mouth. Um, so given this recognition and the state has, has taken the bite at the apple the other way to say there is limited resentencing and what we have in Watkins, why is this not a limited resentencing? Your Honor, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Watkins and the state would concede that resentencing in this instance was in fact limited to a certain extent. But in order to determine, to determine the scope of those limitations, we have to look at the plain language used by the courts in their opinion. And here, the only language that this, that this court in Kelleher 1 and the Supreme Court in Kelleher 2, all they addressed was the convictions that, or excuse me, the sentences that must be imposed as to the convictions of first degree murder. So the court was silent about whether or not the trial judge was limited in its authority, which we presume is the default at a resentencing proceeding. Um, the courts did not limit, did not use any explicit language to limit that statutory authority that the, that the trial judge possessed. And in fact, in State versus Watson, um, this court stated that in order to limit that default presumptive authority at a resentencing proceeding, an appellate court must speak clearly the language, in fact, the court in Watson stated that the language used to limit the remand must be, and I quote, unmistakable. 
Here, neither this court nor the Supreme Court in Kelleher 1 and 2 used such unmistakable language to limit the trial judge's authority to resentence on the ancillary convictions. Even if we went along with that, um, what is, from the record, let me just rephrase it. From the record, it appears that this trial court in this resentencing hearing did not even ex exercise its own discretion. It seemed like he was trying to put itself in the role of Judge Fox. He said, what would he have said, talking about what the previous trial court did? It seemed, seemed like he was trying to predict what Judge Fox would have done versus exercising his own discretion. Isn't that an error in and of itself? Your Honor, respectfully, the state would disagree that the trial judge did not exercise its own independent discretion here. Now, it's, it's true that the trial judge acknowledged that it wasn't going to go through all of the same statutory sentencing factors as did Judge Fox at the original Miller resentencing. And the state's position is that that, that was the appropriate way to view things because the, the Miller fix statute, um, section 15A1340.19A uh, through C, those statutory factors pertain to a trial court's decision whether or not to impose life with the possibility of parole or life without the possibility of parole for a first-degree murder conviction. So that question in this case had already been determined by this court's opinion in Kelleher 1 and the Supreme Court's decision in Kelleher 2. So there was no need for the trial judge at this resentencing to revisit those statutory factors. Instead, the only potential thing that was still in front of the court was these ancillary sentences. And in that manner, again, it's not the, the court here, again, heard additional victim impact statements. They allowed a statement from the defendant. The court explained on the record at the hearing that he had considered the circumstances of the case, had considered Judge Fox's findings and conclusion of law from the Miller resentencing hearing when uh, specifically the first degree murder convictions were addressed, the sentences applicable to those convictions, and then exercised his own independent judgment to run the ancillary sentences for the armed robbery convictions consecutively. What would the state's position be in, on the hypothetical that the, the armed robbery conviction was run um, consecutively in the first instance, served, the, and the, the life sentences were kind of an odd scenario, I know, but life sentences to run after the armed robbery conviction. Um, if, if, the, if it had been served consecutively and already served, and the case remanded for resentencing, what's, would the state's position be that the trial court still had authority to, to reimpose uh, a sentence for the armed robbery, even though it, it had been served by itself. It was, it was served entirely on its own prior to the running of a subsequent conviction. Your Honor, under the plain language of 15A1354A, the trial judge would have had that authority. So the statute says that whenever sentences were, when the sentences were imposed at the same time, and that read in conjunction with Oglesby, which said when you're dealing with a resentencing hearing where uh, an unconstitutional life without parole sentence must be corrected after Miller versus Alabama. The statute gives the sentencing judge authority at that resentencing to consider any other sentences that were imposed at the same time. So based upon Judge Hampson's hypothetical, 
which is different than what's here, where the sentence for the armed robbery, as I understand this hypothetical, was served first, and then the life sentences were, were served consecutively after that. And that's already been served, and we have this remand. It's the state's position you're telling me that you can make the person serve the sentence twice. Your Honor, the state's position is that. Um, that's what you that's, that's correct. That's, yes, that's, that's your position. That is the state's position. So Thank so you. Using basic principles of due process, how would that not be an absurd interpretation of the statute? Your Honor, when we're considering sentencing, especially in, in these kinds of cases, the, sen the sentencing judge has authority to consider these sentences as a, a packaged deal, right? So in, in deciding what the appropriate remedy is, they, they are allowed to consider all these sentences. And again, this is not an issue of what does, has the state argued or not argued. This is a question of what authority does North Carolina's statutory law give a trial judge at resentencing? And whether or not this court disagrees that the policy of that statute is a good idea or not, if the language of that statute confers that, that authority on the sentencing judge to exercise in his or her discretion, this court should not limit the, that authority that has been given to the sentencing court by the General Assembly. For these reasons, unless the court has additional questions, the state would ask this court to affirm the sentences imposed by the, the trial court on remand as being consistent and within the proper exercise of its authority under North Carolina law. Thank you. Back with the appellant. Thank you. And you've got about 20 minutes to take the time you need. Um, thank you. I first wanted to speak to um, the point about this being resentencing. And I, I think the court's um, questions indicate that it understands, but I want to be clear that a case can be uh, the broad term resentencing is divided into two things. One is de novo resentencing wide open for the court. And the other is enter this sentence limited resentencing. And so just because someone calls this a resentencing when they sent the case back in Kelleher, that's not the same thing as ordering a de novo resentencing hearing. Um, and the mandates in this case, both of them said, normally we would remand for general de novo resentencing, but we are not doing that. It's right in the mandate in both cases. Instead, enter X sentence. Um, so I believe that there's no authority. It doesn't matter what the statute says. Under mandate law, that's where a court gets its authority. And when the case has already been completed and a final decision made by this court, and they say, please execute this decision, the trial court does not get to then have a new resentencing hearing because they think they can, or because there's a case that said, in a different situation where we are remanding for de novo resentencing, you can consider all these sentences. Um, on top of that, in this case, the other sentences weren't part of the MAR in the first place. That distinguishes it from Oglesby, and Oglesby is where the state is finding this authority to reopen these old 
cases in resentencing using that statute, 15A, 1354. Um, one other point about the state's argument um, that the mandate didn't say we couldn't do it. You know, even though the mandate was very clear and said what it said, it didn't say, but we can't go on and do these other things. And I think that would be a bad precedent to require this court or the uh, Supreme Court when it's writing a mandate to not only say you can only do this, but to have to list all the other possibilities of what the trial judge might think of that, oh, but you didn't say, you know, that we can't do some other thing. I mean, that's the whole point of a limited remand is to basically give an order. You know, this case is over. We've decided this result. You need to execute it. Can I, I'm going to change my hypothetical a little bit. Okay. If the armed robbery was, was run consecutively following. Right. Um, life with or without parole at the mm -hmm. original sentence. Um, on remand, would the trial court have had, with, with the same remand from Kelleher too, mm -hmm. um, would the trial court have had authority to then say, well, I'm going to run those sentences for the armed robbery now concurrently? Um, I think you have to follow the language of the remand and you have to follow the authority of the court in terms of which sentences are before it. Um, you know, in Oglesby, they were trying to undo sentences that had been run consecutively and were, at least one of them was completed. And they said, we want, you know, we want to go back to the trial court and apply Miller principles and take those sentences apart and put them, you know, concurrent. Um, that's a reasonable position to take. Of course, a defendant's going to take that position. Um, but you have to have, it has to be before the court in the first place in order for that to happen. If the defendant in Oglesby hadn't talked about those other robberies and only filed an MAR about the life sentence, then no, I don't think there would have been that authority. And that's why maybe the Oglesby opinion starts off saying the defendant put this in the MAR in the first place. Miller held that it is cruel not to give redeemable juvenile offenders a meaningful chance at release. Mr. Kelleher has served 22 and a half years and has been waiting for over 11 of those years to know if and when he's going to actually have that chance at release. I ask you to enter judgment as requested in the brief so that this case is finally resolved and put to rest. Thank you.